Welcome to Because That's What Heroes Do. As listeners to this podcast know, typically Megan and I review movies and television shows from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, today we're going to start a three-part series where we look at Picard Season 2. That will lead us to live podcasting Picard Season 3 when we get caught up. So I just want to let you know that if you're looking for a Marvel Cinematic Universe for the next few episodes, it's going to be Picard Season 2. I hope you will join Megan and I in this exploration of Picard Season 2 as it was some great screenwriting, some great science fiction, some great storytelling, great visiting some old friends from Star Trek The Next Generation and going forward. So I hope you will join Megan Doherty and myself, Tom Fox, in Because That's What Heroes Do, the Picard Season 2 edition. We conclude Picard Season 2 with the final episode in this series, Episode 10. I know you'll enjoy it. I'm going to start with a short synopsis of this episode, then Megan will join me. And we are to the end of Picard Season 2. In Episode 10, Farewell, despite Picard's protest, Talon interprets the Queen's message as her needing to sacrifice herself to save Rene Picard. She uses a holographic disguise to thwart Soong's attempted murder of Rene and dies in Picard's arms while Rene departs on the Europa mission. After his failure, Soong returns home to find that Kor has deleted his digital files, though he still has a physical file labeled Project Khan. Kor is recruited to join the Travelers by Wesley Crusher, of all people, and Rios decides to stay in the past with Teresa. Q and Picard discuss the purpose of the trial. Q hopes that Picard has learned to let go of the past and accept love. Q then uses the last of his powers to send Picard, Seven, and Raffi back to the Stargazer in their own timeline, where Elnor is alive. Picard recognizes that this Borg Queen is Agnes, whose collective has detected a new transwarp conduit that they offer to monitor as provisional members of the Federation. After reuniting with the older Guinan and learning about Rios' life in the 21st century, Picard returns to his chateau and asks Laris for a second chance at being together. And we are to the end of Picard Season 2. In Episode 10, Farewell, despite Picard's protest, Talon interrupts interprets the Queen's message as her needing to sacrifice herself to save Rene Picard. She uses a holographic disguise to thwart Soong's attempted murder of Rene and dies in Picard's arms while Rene departs on the Europa mission. After his failure, Soong returns home to find that Kor has deleted his digital files, though he still has a physical file labeled Project Khan. Kor is recruited to join the Travelers by Wesley Crusher, of all people, and Rios decides to stay in the past with Teresa. Q and Picard discuss the purpose of the trial. Q hopes that Picard has learned to let go of the past and accept love. Q then uses the last of his powers to send Picard, Seven, and Raffi back to the Stargazer in their own timeline, where Elnor is alive. Picard recognizes that this Borg Queen is Agnes, whose collective has detected a new transwarp conduit that they offer to monitor as provisional members of the Federation. 
After reuniting with the older Guinan and learning about Rio's life in the 21st century, Picard returns to his chateau and asks Laris for a second chance at being together. Megan, we are here. The finale, episode 10. I don't think it would be a spoiler alert to say they landed completely with this episode. I, I don't know where to start, so why don't I ask you where you would like to start? Okay, can we start with what you can probably guess was one of my favorite parts in the series that I was so glad they did? Let's talk about the kiss. Can we talk about the kiss? Because sure. <laughs> so at the end of season one of Picard, there was some hand-holding between Seven and Rafi, indicating there was some kind of relationship. It was a big deal at the time. And throughout the course of this season, I didn't really pick up that they were in a serious, long-term relationship. But apparently they, they must have been, had something going on because the kiss felt very natural. They were together. You know, the chemistry between them was fantastic. A plus 10 points to the writers for not killing one of them off when they had the chance, because queer couples on TV rarely get to live beyond a season. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking directly at you, Joss Whedon. <laughs> so getting to see their relationship, and now I, I can't wait to rewatch this season now with this knowledge that they had some kind of a relationship that had started earlier and then continued up and is maybe now becoming more official or more permanent. But the way these two very flawed, very strong characters interact with each other, have conflict with each other, work together, and then... On episode 10, we got the kiss. It was an extremely satisfying moment of television. Did you have any thoughts about it, Tom? That's really interesting because, to me, they have been together since I saw them hold hands. And it was a logical and natural, and this was not an acknowledgement or even a coming out. This was just a kiss. And they've been together the whole time. So, I and, like it was and so partic- tentative. It, was, it felt like... Something new and fresh when it was happening. I don't know, maybe. See, I thought the, I can't remember which episodes, but when they were in Los Angeles, particularly when they were looking for Rios, that dialogue to me was, I don't want to sound stereotypical, but at least of a couple. And the back and forth. And anyway, I just thought, I'd assume they'd been along all along. We've been together all along. Okay, I should probably tell you something about me. For a queer myself, I have some of the worst gaydar in the entire world. It's a little embarrassing. <laughs> Anyway, I did think it was a lovely moment, especially because they'd been through all of this really recent trauma. Seven had become human for a little while. What might have that meant for their relationship? Seven kind of makes the decision to be a little more still, and Rafi was genuinely, I think, worried. Does that mean with me? Could that mean with me? So I thought, even if they had been together canonically the entire time, I thought it was a fresh moment in their relationship. I'm going to say to you, I'm going to revel in your enjoyment of it, Uh, as I all do. They look so good together. (laughs) <laughs> yes, they do. For me, this episode, until the last five minutes, was about farewell. There were a series of farewells in this. In many ways, for me, the most surprising one was the first one with Corey and Wesley Crusher. I will self-avow to the world, I was never a hate Wesley Crusher fan. I was, in fact, a huge Wesley Crusher fan. I thought I loved him in TNG, and I loved him because I thought he presented a question that we rarely get to see played out, certainly over seven seasons, which is, what do you do when you're the smartest kid in the room for the whole time? Now, we've seen, there's some TV shows about nerds and geeks and all of that, but 
when you're that great, what do you do? And I thought that whole series was not that I would ever myself on anyone else, but <laughs> I saw a teenage boy trying to figure out who he was. And so I've always enjoyed Royce Crusher, and I thought his journey for me personally was quite satisfying, even at the end of TNG, where he goes off with a traveler. Here he appears as a traveler, and he takes Corey with him, convinces her to go and be a traveler. And from a science fiction perspective, I thought that was a great way to give a very minor role to a minor-ish character, but in a very substantive way that could lead to other adventures. It gave her a new path. And for us to say, maybe you don't have to be human. Maybe you don't have to be Terran. Maybe you can be synthetic and be a traveler. And so that that farewell to me, uh, really poignant. Uh, I love seeing Wesley Crusher even for, what, 30 seconds, 60 seconds of screen time. Oh, yeah. How about and, you? And Will Wheaton, as an actor, is so great. And he seems like, obviously, I don't know him, but he seems like a really cool person. I think every, everything he's in is quite delightful. Have you seen The Guild? No. That might be one to check out on your next bit of free time. It's a lot of fun. He has a, has a great role in it. But, yeah, I love that his membership in the Travelers is really tying together a lot of different parts from different franchises within Star Trek, and it's really building the tapestry of the whole world. So, yeah, I thought it was a great kind of... Hello and goodbye, again, from a very cool character. Next up, Picard and Talon. Their goodbye comes because she has synthesized herself or morphed herself into Renee so that when Soong successfully assassinates who he think is Renee, it turns out it's Talon. And that's sad because we've come to love Talon, but her farewell, she dies in Picard's arms. And I thought that was just a incredibly poignant scene. It was a great scene. I think, is it Larissa, the Romulan he lives Lars. with? Lars. I think that was Lars's ancestor. And I'm pretty sure Picard saw Lars in her. And that was part of the attraction for Picard, not the physical attraction, because Lars is a beautiful woman, but the emotional attraction and Picard finally allowing himself to feel even if it's in the 21st century. And so for me, that death scene was quite poignant, whether it was Loris, whether it was Talon, Talon, there was, to me, a clear affection between them that I hadn't really seen from Patrick Stewart as Jean-Luc Picard. Yeah, what I found and so you? poignant about that was something that, uh, that Q said about his death, was that in all of the timelines, she has to die. That's the way it goes. But this is the one where she got to reveal herself to Renee. She got to know Renee. Renee got to acknowledge her work. So it was poignant. It was bittersweet. But I think she was able to die satisfied, having had her purpose acknowledged by the person she'd been protecting for so many years. And now I have to go to one of the greatest farewells I've ever seen on television. And that's Picard and Q. And Q, Q was fine. That was, see, I don't think so. And I will tell you why. Okay, tell me why. I, I thought he stayed in Q character because here is what he said. Even gods have favorites. Well, he's no god, but he's still telling everybody he's a god just because he's omnipotent. And so he can't even <laughs> on his death scene. Did I tell people I was a god too? What's the difference? <laughs> he's not even a Greek god, little G. And he sure ain't the big one. He's just a guy with some really cool powers and messes people's lives up. And I still think it's not pet owner pet. I don't <laughs> suggest that. 
but he still sees himself in in a elevated role. And this this series, I thought, really brought him down to earth. That yes, he's got more powers, but he's a being, just like the rest of us are beings. And but when he says that line, even gods have favorites. But here's the thing I wanted to explore: is uh, two things. One is male love that's not physical. And I thought I saw that in this scene. And we don't get to see that enough, frankly. Agreed. And completely agreed. I don't want to say it took me till 65 to acknowledge that because I did that a long time ago with a lot of different men. But you can love a man you can, without having to sleep with them. And you can have that kind of relationship. And I saw that, and I saw it by obviously two mature men who've had a lot of history together, and they have grown together in a non-physical way. And that was an incredibly powerful part of that for me. Your thoughts? I love that you brought that up because I think Q, after years of flagging Picard and other captains throughout and around the galaxy, gave Picard this really beautiful gift of self-forgiveness and self-expression and opening, helping Picard open himself up to deeper affection and deeper relationships. That was absolutely a loving act. And it almost felt like a little bit of recompense for all of the times he'd messed with them in the past. Is Now here's this really final serious game. And uh, yeah, no, the love and the affection, perhaps imbalanced, but, but really genuine for all that. More examples of platonic male love would be great. Remember, we talked about this in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. <laughs> we did. There too. And it's really nice to see more and more of it in media. I think, uh, I think it's a tremendously positive thing. So once again, I had a little bit different spin. Because what I saw, the big reveal was not the love. It was not the I'm a God and you're not. It was what you thought and what I said were these tests to prove humanity is worthy and I'm not going to destroy you. That was all not correct. It was a journey for you to understand self-love, male love, and just the word love. The Greeks have, I think it's... Seven? 17 words for love. 17. In America, we got one. And, And so when he said that, I thought... It was because he was telling Picard, if I had started this journey in season one of TNG and told you, I'm going to teach you and show you there's a different way. And it's about love that Picard would have said, nope, don't need that. I'm the captain of the Enterprise and you're not. And so that this test and quests that he's put him on literally for 25 years was to open Picard's eyes up. And of course, I have to tie it into the original series, but I'm going to tie it into the first Star Trek movie, the motion picture. And at the end, Spock, who's been off on this incredible journey on Vulcan, learning some Vulcan stuff, comes back and they, of course, save the galaxy. But at the end, Spock says, Jim, I have learned this is the most valuable thing. And what he does is he puts his hand out to grab Jim Kirk's hands. And he said, this is the most valuable thing in the universe. And that's what I heard Q say. And I heard him say it. I put you through these tests so that you would come to this realization, not me lecturing you, but that you wouldn't have been able to come to this realization 
25 years ago because you weren't ready. And once again, not to put my entire persona on this, but he's absolutely right. And it took me a long time to to understand that as well. So that, to me, explaining why he had put Picard through all of these tests literally since season one of TNG, I just thought it was an incredible scene. It was. I think I know, everything you've said, it all to me almost points more towards Q being a god than less. Because that kind of personal testing from a superpowered being for one's personal development, I don't know. That You've never had a friend where you didn't tell them, here are the area of your ways. I'm going to show you by letting you figure out the mistake you've made. Oh, sure, but I didn't change the whole of space and time to do it. <laughs> That's only because you couldn't. If you'd had those powers, you'd been right up there. Anyway, I just absolutely love that scene. It was, it brought together literally 25 or 30 years of Star Trek, an emotional journey from seeing two men who clearly loved each other because they had been through those tests together in many ways. It just seemed like a great way. And then, of course, he passes on. Q does. But I felt very satisfied by that scene. Good. It was, I agree, it was beautiful. And it happened right around the same time there was another farewell because I think I called it a couple weeks ago, Rio stays in the path. What did yes. you think of that choice? So it made complete sense. And going back to season one, yes, he was a very successful captain, but he was doing it all on his own. And I think he saw another way. Yeah. And it was an incredibly attractive, incredibly smart, and incredibly driven woman with a passion to help and serve others. And he fell in love with her. He fell in love with her son, fell in love with being a servant leader or just a servant. And I figured somebody was going to stay. And I didn't think they would make Elnor stay. But it made sense. And within the character and particularly within the woman he paired off with, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I think it was a great choice. And it just it's such a nice thought that he got to enjoy all of these amazing 21st century earth things that, that he was so enjoying and yeah, that he found some happiness and stability and good work to do. It was a, I thought a great end for his character. Although of course, as a lawyer, I'm always concerned when people violate the timeline, please <laughs> let's not have any of that random timeline violation, crime directive and all that's there for a reason, Jim Kirk. I was a little but, bit worried about him getting like legitimate earth ID. That I can so help him that with. man a green card. Ah. <laughs> My wife just became a citizen. Tell him how to do it. Congrats. That's exciting. Yes. So before he dies, Q sends him back to the 24th. And we get five minutes of the most action-packed Star Trek we've had in a long time. So what did you think about the Borg Queen Jurati, because they're no longer separate, coming back and making that proposal to work with the Federation? Is that... I think absolutely. I think it, it demonstrated that it worked. Her plan was successful. And I think she lost some of the social graces um, that she may have had as a human in the intervening 400 years. But I think she was building a better, more humane Borg. And I think that her desire and the collective's desire to help and to protect was genuine. And I think she just used her immense power to put the places that she needed in place to be able to actually do it. So I thought it was great. It was so interesting. I loved 
all the kind of characters, the final roundup all coming back together, the reveal that it is Queen Jerome. And of course, the field commission of Seven and just that center chair looks really good on her, too. She looked great in the captain's <laughs> chair. I was super into that. I uh, thought you might have been. It was, it was great. It was great. And I, I absolutely squealed loud enough to scare my cats when they pinged over to the Excelsior and Elnor was back. Thank you, Q, for the last surprise. So I really enjoyed that. Here was the question I had. The Klingons were our mortal enemies, and uh, they had changed by TNG. And the Klingons are now fast friends of the Federal. The Borg, however, were villains of an incredible higher order. And so first I was a little put off by thinking, we've gotten rid of the greatest villains we'll ever have. But I thought, maybe not. Maybe there's some badder villains out there that we need to work together with. And there are some badder villains, but I've really, that scene to me took me back to season one and the character. When we first met Hugh and we meet Seven of Nine when she's the ranger and what had happened to the Borg, how dispirited they were and how they were the hunted now for their mechanical body parts and that they had to almost be protected now. And so we saw what had happened to them. And so it actually gave me some hope that maybe the Borg's future might be different. And maybe there is a way, there's certainly a way for former enemies to come, become friends. And well, think, oh, go ahead. And I thought, yeah, let's try this and see what we can come up with together. As long as they're not to turn around and assimilate us all. <laughs> Yeah, I had similar thoughts. I guess a big question that's outstanding for me is, in what way did Queen Girati change the timeline as it exists now in the 25th century? Did the wars happen? I don't know how much they'll explain. I don't know exactly which philosophy of time travel they're going to be leaning on for this one. But <laughs> yeah, I guess it'll be interesting to see if this is like a different type of Borg who existed at, this, at the existed simultaneously with the original super evil Borg or not, but I love what they're doing with it. I love where they're going with it. I love the idea of a kinder Borg. And I'm extremely curious about this wormhole or this, this trans-dimensional pathway that is opened with a worse enemy behind. I've said right. perhaps species 8472 might be seeing them again, but that was the only big idea might I be. had about it. So this wrapped up a great season, went in different twists and turns. I can't point to one thing that, well, I guess if I had to point to one thing, I would probably point to Gerard becoming the board queen or Seven of Nine becoming Anna. I thought that was incredibly poignant as well. So those, I guess, would be my two highlights. Any, what were your one, two, or three highlights for this season? Oh, I really love Corey escaping and going out on her own and coming to a greater, grander future. I thought that was great. I really loved and always loved the not necessarily romantic relationships and love. So the friendship and the conversations and the experiences that Picard and Guinan had together over the season, I thought were delightful. Especially the wrap up at the end was so sweet and so loving. And Rafi and Elnor, that she loves him so much and is, if not a mom figure, at least an aunt figure. And they're reunited, <laughs> getting reunited at the end. It was so good. And uh, yay, queer representation. I'll always take it. Well, Megan, this has been a ton of fun. We're now ready to start with Picard season three and see where that takes us. So I hope our listeners will join us again. See you next time. 
This is Tom Fox again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you've enjoyed this series on Picard Season 2 as much as Megan and I enjoyed prepping by watching it again and bringing it to you. Because That's What Heroes Do is now the award-winning That's What Heroes Do and is a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us again for Picard Season 3.